Hi, folks, and welcome back to Behind the Scaffolding. I'm Gina Brandolino. And I'm Angie Berkeley. The episode we have for you here was a special delight for me because my guest was my mentor, Kathy Overholz-Smith. Kathy supervised my teaching while I was a doctoral student at Indiana University. She fairly recently retired from IU in 2020 after 30 years of teaching there and 46 years of teaching overall. She wore many hats in the English department at Indiana, and frankly, it's a wonder to me that the department has somehow continued to function now that she's retired. She was the composition program coordinator, the director of basic writing and special programs. For many years, she was the associate chair and also the director of administrative and instructional affairs. As you know, Angie, we tend to feature non-tenure track faculty on this show. Indeed, we do. So it's worth mentioning that Kathy did all this work her whole time at Indiana as a clinical associate professor, which means that she was non-tenure track. It speaks to the excellence, integrity, and pure verve with which she comported herself during her career that upon her retirement, Indiana University renamed their Career Distinguished Teaching Award for non-tenure track faculty in Kathy's honor. It is now the Kathy Overhull Smith Teaching Award, and that is well-deserved. Indeed it is. I count it as one of the greatest privileges of my career that I was trained by Kathy Smith, and so much of what I assign, how I make a syllabus, how I relate to my students, how I structure my lessons, how I occupy my role in the classroom, you name it, I learned from Kathy. She's literally the best teacher I know, and I know some great teachers. Yeah, I was really glad to get to finally meet Kathy and talk with her about having difficult conversations with students. Now, this is something that all of us have had to face at one time or another, and in her role as both a teacher herself and a trainer of new teachers, it was something that Kathy spent a lot of time doing and thinking about how to do well. Certainly, there are ways of thinking about these talks that can make them, well, less difficult for everyone involved, which, you know, thumbs up. And actually, this is a great episode, not just for teachers of undergraduate students, but even for folks who oversee new teachers, the teachers of teachers, because Kathy did a lot of that and has some great advice. One quick note, we conducted our interview over Zoom, and there's a stray computer-generated chime or two that we couldn't edit out. Sorry for that. And also some stray guest barking by Kathy's dogs, Iris and Pansy, which we wouldn't dare edit out, even if we could. Let's have a listen. All right. Hi, Kathy. It's great to have you here today. Um, thanks for joining us on Behind the Scaffolding. So we're going to talk about difficult conversations. Let's hope this conversation is not difficult. Um, I, <laughs> I wonder if you could start by telling us what the difficult conversations are that you've had most often with your own students or that you've helped graduate student teachers navigate and what makes them difficult. See, the kinds of conversation, difficult conversations I had with students, um, often they were about, not always, but often about academic dishonesty. They might be about disappointment on a paper, on a paper grade, something like that. They might be about excessive absences. Uh, they might be student complaints about their teachers. And I think all of those things, um, all of those things could potentially be very difficult conversations um, for a variety of different reasons, depending upon the nature of the 
it depending upon the topic. Obviously, if I was talking about, if I was uh, challenging a student on plagiarism, um, we learned early on these things must be done delicately. Um, and, uh, you know, we needed to distinguish between whether it was a deliberate or an unintentional problem. If it was uh, uh, a disappointing grade on a paper, I think it was important for the student not to leave, lose, you know, not to leave the class crushed, but to understand if indeed the grade was legitimate. Um, you know, and as far as a complaint about a teacher is concerned, that was always difficult because it required me, as it would any administrator in my position, to wear two hats. On the one hand, you wanted to be uh, fair and understanding to the student, but you also had to be fair and understanding to the instructor. Um, so it was very much uh, sort of a two-way street. So those are just some of the difficulties um, involved in, in interacting with students. And I, I never lost sight that I represented the English department and I never lost sight of the fact that I represented the, my graduate student teachers. And what about, where does the student fall in that? I mean, what, what do you try to remember about the student or the student's role in the conversation when you're having these difficult conversations? I try, I try very hard to see things from a student's point of view. Um, and that's not to say that, uh, you know, I always think they're right or that, you know, I don't feel obviously the need to correct them. But at the same time, I think it's important that they, probably the most important thing, regardless of whether I'm dealing with graduate students or, or the students is trust. They've got to trust me. Um, and because if they don't, they aren't satisfied. And that means they either go away mad having learned nothing or they go to the next administrator up and God forbid, they, they end up talking to the, I once had a, uh, knew of a student who, not one I had spoken to, but uh, a student who in fact was hounding the president of the university with phone calls because she was very concerned about the grade she'd gotten in composition. So, uh, you know, so, so I just, I think it's important that students get respect and I think it's important that they trust, uh, they trust me. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, to some extent, they have to earn that respect. I mean, I don't have a lot of respect, frankly, for a student who blows off a teacher or doesn't do the work or, uh, you know, comes whenever he or she feels like it. Or, uh, I mean, that's just, I, I just, it's not for me, students always and forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. This is sort of related to that. I mean, I, I'm wondering if, um, has that been that sort of balance between like thinking about the student and cultivating their trust or like building that trusting relationship and allegiance like to the material and the department, like that's a balance, but um, has that been harder to maintain or easier or has anything like that changed over the course of your career? Uh, well, once again, it depends. Um, I think students have become, and parents, I mean, it, it, it's, you know, a cliche, but, but it's a cliche for a reason. I think students and parents have become more willing to question um, rules, regulations, uh, grades, um, you know, a teacher's competence and that kind of thing, far more so than, than they used to 30 years ago. Um, 
but but I'm getting wound up in in your in your question here. Um, ask me again. So I was wondering about the the balance between like thinking about the material and being true to that in the department and the institution, and then thinking about the student. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. I, sorry. Yeah. I lost my train of thought. It happens when you thank God you're retired. retired. Um, <laughs> I know. Thank God. Yeah, I'm sure my students think so too. Anyway, I have this now and too, and I'm not retired, but <laughs> <laughs> um, it's uh, it sort of dep again depends on the situation, right? When um, when I would deal with a plagiarism case, for example, um, I would always uh, I would always have the student uh, come in to see me, and the first thing I did when the student sat down, I always thanked him or her for coming, and then I asked it, I asked the student, "Do you know why you're here?" Now, ninety percent of the time, they would say, "Well, yes, I sort of think I do," um, but sometimes they wouldn't. They would be genuinely surprised. And I didn't, so I didn't go into every case thinking this, this person is guilty by God, this person has done something, right? Um, there, there were certainly plenty of occasions when a student um, unwittingly or with the best of intentions lent her work to a, to a friend or allowed her work to be seen by a friend. And um, that friend, unfortunately, uh, you know, sort of betrayed her trust by uh, uh, copying from her. And, you know, in that case, again, you always had to have a conversation with a student about how precious that her work was and that it, you know, she needed to, to take care of it. Um, on other occasions, you know, students would come in and uh, they'd weep and I felt terrible. I mean, I, I felt horrible for them. And as, if they admitted it, Right. And, you know, I always had the proof. I'd say, what, what do you notice about these two papers? Or what do you notice about this article in your paper? Or what do you, right. Um, I always tried to be, again, fair. I always tried to be, um, you know, sensitive. Off, uh, you know, sometimes this meant, um, you know, withdrawing from the class and retaking it at a time when the student's health or home situation or whatever would enable her to do the kind of work I knew she was capable of doing, um, uh, that sort of thing. So, so um, with teachers, it could be a little, it frankly, it could be a little trickier because um, there were times when I frankly thought the student had a point given what the student said. Now, you know, I always, I always shared um, complaints with a teacher and talk to the teacher about them. And um, I tried to maintain the, the student's anonymity so it didn't become a who did who said this or whatever, um, because that was usually not, uh, not the issue. Um, but uh, under those circumstances, I might have said something to the teacher like, well, you know, it might, it might uh, be helpful if you could put a little, a little more explanation on your papers about the grade that you gave the paper. Or it could be that, is it possible that you missed this and this and this? I mean, graduate student uh, uh, teachers are teachers in training. And I don't think it does any good, you know, to blow smoke up them by saying they're always great, they're always right, they never do anything wrong. I mean, sometimes they, there are some mistakes and we can talk about those mistakes, but again, not in a way that makes this, the, the teacher seem 
mean or, or intentionally, uh, you know, irresponsible because that never was the case. Um, but it was, there would be opportunities for uh, an intervention, let's say, with the student, with the student and with the, more importantly, obviously, um, with, the, uh, with the teacher. So um, the other thing, the other thing is on the teacher side, if a student came in and wanted a grade review from me, I would of course read, require them to bring the paper and the assignment and I would read them. And, and almost without exception, I think one time in all the years I did this, without exception, I can honestly say to the student, I, your teacher gave this a C minus, it would have been a, a, an F in my class. And I wasn't being, you know, oh, I'm so intelligent. Or, oh, my, my criteria is so demand. No, it wasn't that. It was just that um, a couple of things. If the, if the paper didn't fulfill the terms of the assignment, uh, for me, that was a, a no-go, right? But um, more importantly than that, I think teachers, unbeknownst maybe to students, teachers tend to be far more charitable to students they know. Um, the, and even though students tend to think it works the opposite way, that is that teachers, if, if they know me, they're out to get me and so on and so forth. 99% um, of the time, uh, a student might very well earn a C in a class where the teacher knew and knew something about how the student was struggling and so on and so forth. Whereas, you know, with me, this student was, I didn't know anything about this student. The upshot of all of that was that the student could leave my office feeling very grateful for the teacher that he or she had <laughs> and not me. And that I think is a win-win all the way around because I, you know, I, the last thing you wanna do is, uh, is step into a mess between the teacher and the student because learning just doesn't occur that way. There's a loss of trust on the part of the student and, and so on, so. What's interesting about what you're saying to me is, so like earlier you talked about representing the department and, and representing your, your graduate student teachers. And, and I said, well, what about the students? And a, a, a lot, most of what you just said has shown the ways that when you have difficult conversations with students, you wanna preserve or, or even buoy up the, the dignity of the student. Um, like, you know, your first, th and I've been, I've had difficult conversations with students with you. The first thing you do is always thank them for coming, right? You, um, you give them the opportunity, you know, you ask them a question that gives them the opportunity, you know, to, uh, to enter the conversation in a way that shows that they understood that what they, you know, what they did wrong. Um, and I feel like, this is not a natural move. I feel like most of us get mad at our students when when they uh, you know do something. What if they're not coming to class, or you know if they've plagiarized? And it's it's something that I've always remembered that you have to create a space where the student can sort of occupy the problem, right? Instead of just being like the disciplined object. Well, yeah, the student has to have not have an opportunity to to uh, to come clean on his or her own. Um, I'm not a, I'm not the mother, so so uh, and and as I said, 99% of the time the students do. They said, "Look, I shouldn't have done this," and so on. And and uh, our conversations frequently concluded with, "I think you owe Miss Brandolino an apology." You have to understand the extent to which teachers invest in their students and how disappointing it is when a student in trouble doesn't come to a teacher and ask for help or whatever. Um, 
at the same, I have to, t I have to tell, I have to tell the story because it's, um, it's, it was a shocker to me. It was the first time ever and only time ever this happened. And I literally was, uh, I, I didn't know what to say in response to this. Um, I had a student come in whose teacher had determined that the student had plagiarized from a website. And uh, in our English courses, in our composition courses, we placed a great deal of emphasis on how to use sources legitimately, how to integrate them into your own thinking, how to represent them accurately, and so on and so forth. So this was a pretty big deal for, for the student to just have, you know, copied. And it was sort of like in the late, I'd say, two-thirds of the semester. So this wasn't a rookie mistake. This wasn't, okay. So the student, so the student came in and I asked him about, you know, do you see the similarity? And he was, and I could tell from what he's, from his, he was genuinely shocked. He was, he said, no, I, I never looked at that source. I never saw that source. And I thought, well, this is weird. You know, is he baldly denying that he, is he psychic or, uh, or what's going on here? Well, come to find out as the, as the meeting went on, come to find out that, well, in fact, he didn't write the paper. His father had written the paper. His father had plagiarized it off of the web. Oh my gosh. And the student, the student genuinely didn't, didn't know that. <laughs> he didn't have any idea that that's what was going on. And that was probably the one time that I just was left sort of open mouthed. Like, you know, I think we ended with some sort of conversation about, well, it doesn't matter who does it or you should do your own work, la, 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 la. And, uh, and, and went from there. But um, I think the conversation between the student and his father would be far more difficult than the one that I had. So he ended up admitting to you that his father wrote the paper for him. Did he think there was a problem with that? But that was the other thing. That's what I could. That's what I could talk about with him. I could say, well, you know, okay, well, let's talk about someone else doing your work and what the name on your paper signifies, and and uh, and so on and so forth. So, so that uh, I felt sorry for him, for the for the student. I really did feel sorry for him. But I think he learned maybe a couple of valuable lessons. I would say so. Oh my goodness. That sounds like a hard one. Can we, so I, I kind of want to go back to something you mentioned um, in your answer to the last question. You said sometimes the students weep. Yes. <laughs> Could you just talk a little bit about like specifically, what do you do when the emotions get really intense like that? Like when students are really <laughs> emoting? Cause I think for me, I know that's one of the hardest moments you know even if i have a good plan and i'm following my plan in the difficult conversation the student starts to really you know to cry or to whatever like that's when it gets it it shakes me a little bit so do you have any tips or or you know whatever about when that happens i always kept a box of kleenex on my desk and i i always strove to be very you know very sympathetic because the 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 tears signified contrition. And I, you know, I think um, particularly in freshman composition, students can make mistakes. Sometimes they carry over bad habits from high school, um, you know, or, or, or whatever. And it's, you know, for a whole lot of reasons, it's a stressing time. And, and I know that some of them 
uh, are scared of their teachers. And so the idea of going to them and saying, I'm not going to have this paper done in time just doesn't really occur to them um, to, uh, you know, to uh, admit that. So, so, um, and I always try to, I mean, again, that's one of the things that made these plagiarism conversations difficult because, uh, you know, on the one hand, you do want to impress on the student the significance of that act of academic dishonesty. It is absolutely wrong. There are no circumstances where it's legitimate. And as I said, it is one of the learning how to use sources uh, legitimately um, is one of the uh, you know main tenets of our uh, of our course. Um, so so on the one hand, you want to be sure they understand that, and you want to be sure that you scare, in effect, scare them enough they never do it again. Because the, the um, as we had negotiated with our dean of students, the penalty for um, for uh, plagiarizing in our comp class was a little weaker than the penalty that they would uh, that they would incur in a in an upper division. Uh, lit class or something like that, where I suppose that it could be said they should know better. So there's that. On the other hand, something like this obviously can loom extraordinarily large. Um, so uh, I think that at that point, it's really critical for them to realize and be told this is not the end of the world. Here's what we can do to, to remedy this. Here are some things that you need to be aware of that you know are not going to be you know, your parents are not going to be informed about this, uh, not going to, you know, this is not going to show up on your permanent record. Um, but if you do it again, and I mean, just so, uh, so it really was walking a, 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 a tightrope between those two things, making sure they understood the nature of the, the fault, but also making sure that they understood as we did that, you know, the, they were first year students and, um, you know, 99% of the time we were uh, more than happy to help them. I guess like when somebody's in front of you having like a, a big emotion and a big emotion that you, it's something you did helped cause, you know, you graded a paper, you noticed that like, it's hard not to feel responsible in some way for that, for their emotion. But like, in a way, it sounds like them having the emotion is an important part of the process, right? So like you have to sort of let them cry, but then, you know, also sort of walk them back from a catastrophic view at the same time that you under, underscore this, you know, like serious, not catastrophic. No, I think that's, uh, I think that's absolutely right. And I'm not saying that, you know, all a student had to do was cry yeah. and everybody melted away and, and so on. It wasn't the case at all, but um, I, I tried to show a lot of respect for students that admitted it. That came clean and said, "Look, I I know this. I know this was wrong. I was in a hurry, and I was, or I was pressed, or I had several other things to do." At, at which point, we can always have a conversation then about, well, what would have been a more effective way to deal with that problem? What would have been a, a legitimate way to a, a legitimate response to that problem? Um, and we always, I I try, I try when I can. Um, you know, to inject some humor into the situation, not at the expense of the student ever, but just, you know, I, I, 
often will suggest, well, I, I'm looking at your student and I see your teacher. I don't see that she's an ogre. So it doesn't sound to me like there's any reason you might not have felt comfortable going to her. Um, and I mean, stuff like, I mean, I think, I think that's important uh, to, to, to do that. And, you know, again, to make students realize that this is not a penal colony and that, um, you know, there are things that, uh, that there are things that they can do. So, yeah, I mean, it sounds like as I hear you talk about it, it sounds thinking, especially about first year students, it sounds like part of the work that gets done in these kinds of conversations can be helping them get to know what college is like. And, and because they must have, I, I know that many of them come to it with to what sound like to us are really weird ideas about what to expect and that are not at all true. So, um, yeah, and sometimes it takes some of these really hard conversations. Do you think they get easier to have over time? They get a little bit easier. Um, I mean, in some ways, every student is different. Um, the, they get easier the older the student is. If the student does this sort of thing as a senior, where uh, you know you know dang well they've had instruction, they knew they were fully aware of what they were doing and so on, it's, it's um, I tended to be a little less sympathetic under those circumstances because presumably they know how to negotiate the university at that point. And, um, you know, it is, it becomes almost a matter of in some classes, you know, can I outsmart the teacher by putting together 42 different websites to explain uh, you know, Tom Sawyer, or, or, you know, how can I, I can really try, and some, some of them are quite ingenious, and I just, I have no respect for that, um, or for, for people who do that, so, so those conversations are usually a little different, and, you know, at that point, you just have to ask, isn't it easier to just write the damn paper? Of course, no, yes, exactly, no, exactly right, and that's, I've often asked them that, you know, you can just significant <laughs> amount of trouble here to to uh, disguise the fact that, you, that this isn't yours. Um, another element sort of I'm reminded in this case, and often this happens with with uh, not uh, with earlier students, freshmen, sophomore students. Um, they in, they infer from their teachers uh, ability to detect plagiarism that the teacher believes they're simply not smart enough to come up with those ideas or with that language. You know, I can, you know, my teacher, my teacher caught me because she just didn't think I could do this or I, she just didn't think I was. And, you know, I think that's not a healthy way to look at it either. Yeah. I thought you, yeah, I thought you were so stupid, Sally, that you couldn't possibly have used the word integer in this. And so uh, I just, that uh, to me, that's not, that's not productive. I think it's far better to, to you know, again, do what a lot of people do and use the, um, uh, use the party line um, uh, analogy where, you know, your mother calls you and, and uh, the, the number says it's your mother and you pick up the phone and you say hello and your mother starts talking and you know from her voice that it's not her. And it's not because she's stupid or smarter or anything else. It's just a different voice. And, you know, I think that's all part of, again, trying to be, show a little empathy um, uh, to students who get confused about what is legitimate and what isn't legitimate. I, I love uh, the party line analogy. And I really hope that 
they understand what a party line is. Oh yeah, we try to explain it. <laughs> I'm not that, that's right. No, that's that. Because to be honest with you, I'm 50 years old and I'm kind of in and out on what a party line is. <laughs> I understand. But the empathy thing, I mean, I feel like the empathy thing is so important. And if, you know, all teachers that listen to this podcast are excellent teachers with a lot of integrity and a sense of vocation, obviously. But I feel like um, because of that, um, they, you know, it, it's upsetting when a student doesn't live up to expectations. It's upsetting when a student, you know, plagiarizes and doesn't do the work. And I feel like um, it's very easy to take that personally. But the, it sounds like, based on what you're saying, the most important part of these conversations is to not take it personally and give give the student a little room to have had not a good reason to do what they did, but maybe a, you know an understandable excuse. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, that's true. So, um, so that sort of leads into the next question, which is like, what is like what is an ideal outcome of a difficult conversation? Like, what do you want to have happen as a result of this conversation? I feel like we've covered some of this, but. Well, whether I'm talking to a teacher or a student, the ideal outcome is for them to feel that they can, uh, that they can proceed. That is that, that you know, things are not terrible. Life is not over. Uh, you know, yeah, maybe there was a mistake or, or, whatever but it, I don't think it's I don't think it does anybody any good to to leave a conversation like this feeling you know there's just there's no hope there I mean it's 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 similar to in in, in talking to teachers I mean one of the one of the um, standards in our program was that uh, I visited all the classes um, that I that I supervised I visited them every year so I knew the instructors I knew the assignment. I knew what was going on. And when I would encounter a problem in the classroom, um, I always told them, I, I never wrote these up I, and, unless I was writing a recommendation. I never wrote up class reports because I thought they could be, I don't know, misunderstood. They could be damning when I didn't intend for them to be damning because some, some teachers really take to heart anything and so I always made it a point to debrief afterwards. We'd go for a cup of coffee and sit there for an hour or two and, and talk about, you know, what we thought went well. I always ask the teacher, what did, you, what did you do well? What do you think went well? And what did you, did you struggle with anything or whatever? I would always give them a chance first. And then I might say, um, well, you might want to rethink the group exercise that you did. Because from what I was seeing, you know, a number of students in the back were not you know, we're talking about the game coming up or, or whatever. And, um, but I could do that in a way with them that didn't make it sound like, well, you weren't paying attention to everybody in the room and you got to get out there and really take a look at them. But some of them were just goofing off and it's your fault. I mean, that's just stupid, right? That's just, no, that's just ridiculous. Or, you, or, you know, you, well, you know, I mean, even stupid stuff, you know, um, it's really hard back here to read what you're writing on the board. Your writing is terrible. <laughs> you please do so. I said, yeah. So stuff like that that you can um, correct and still leave people people's dignity, still leave uh, still leave them you know respect, still uh, let them know 
you know, whether they're students or teachers, that um, these things are all, these are not character flaws, right? That these things can be corrected or that they can be amended. So, yeah. It's interesting to me that in response to that question, if somebody had asked me that question, mm-hmm. and here's, here's where I still have room to learn. If somebody asked me this question, what I would have said is, I want to make sure they learned the lesson that they needed to learn, <laughs> which is messed up, right? Like that's not the best that's answer. Because that's part of it too. It's just a matter of how they learn the lesson. I think we're saying the same thing, Gina. I mean, I don't want students leaving thinking, hey, it's absolutely fine to cancel your classes on every Friday. Or, or hey, it's absolutely fine to plagiarize just a little bit in a paragraph. Or <laughs> that's, that's not the point. But I think, I think that can be accompanied with, um, yes, you messed up. Yes, this was a problem. But yes, you can fix it. That's all. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, I feel like, that, that, sorry, Angie, that adjustment of focus, like the adjustment of not, well, I hope you learned your lesson instead of like, you know, you can go on. Like, I feel like that is a critical adjustment um, that I can make to my own pedagogy to sort of just tip things slightly more, as you said, to the dignity of the student um, and, and not so much, uh, you know, to the integrity of my classroom, right? Not that the integrity is harmed, in any way, but that, you know, the focus is slightly different. Sorry, Angie, I cut you off. Oh, that's okay. No, I was thinking it's more like a both and thing, you know, it's like learning the lesson, but then being able to go on, like being able to proceed with the lesson and feel like, okay, I've learned it, but I, it doesn't mean I'm horrible and I have to drop out of college. It's like, I learned it and that means I can do better next time. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of what you've been saying, Kathy, makes me think that it's not really accurate to think about this like divide between being empathetic for the student and allegiance to the material. Like what you're trying to do is talk with students in a way that helps them continue to engage with it, right? Because like the material is, is for them, you know, and so you want, you want to bring it to them. Um, so, yeah. All right, I feel like we have one question left. Um, Angie, am I, is my count right? Yeah. The, um, any don'ts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the last question that, um, that we wanted to put to you, I feel like you've talked about a, a lot about what are the sort of smart moves that you can make, um, in during difficult conversations, the things that you should pay attention to. Is there anything in particular that you would advise teachers to guard against? Like, very um, important, difficult conversation don'ts instead of do's? Well, one thing I would say is uh, if you're, if you are dealing with a student complaint, don't answer it on the spot. You know, give yourself time to think things through. When a student brought me a problem um, with a teacher or with anything else. I never said, okay, here's what I'll do. No, I always said, okay, well, I understand your concern. Let me look into this. I never tried to render a decision on the spot because uh, there are two sides to, or at least two sides often to every story. And um, I also, there were other facts that um, would come to light 
in the course of my so-called research. So, so I always wanted to leave myself free from being pressed to, um, you know, to make that, uh, to make that judgment. That said, um, if a student is coming in with a complaint about a paper, um, I think the student always deserves a complete explanation of the grade without, um, you know, without uh, uh, prejudice. <laughs> that is, uh, you know, I don't think students should apologize if they come in and say, I don't understand why this got a D. Because if they don't understand why it got a D, then they're gonna do it again. They're human beings, of course. So I think they deserve a complete, and the same thing is true with how did you arrive at my final grade? I know a lot of teachers resent those questions like, oh, he's challenging me. Like, oh, you know, he's, and, and I think being a little less defensive in those cases, um, and there may very well be occasions when you say, when you realize, well, I was just wrong. I was wrong about this and I made a mistake and I'm sorry. And I'm grateful that you pointed it out to me and I will correct it now. Um, obviously there are, there are gonna be occasions when that happens and you just admit it, just admit it. None, none of us is infallible, just admit it and move on. Um, but there are gonna be other times when you have to, you have to take your time and, um, and give yourself some time to, to think things through. So, you know, and I, I think it doesn't do anybody any good to leave, to, to have people leaving your office feeling like crap. I mean, feeling they're not worth it or feeling like, you know, I just, I don't think that's productive. I don't think that that gets them back in the classroom, whether they're teachers or students. Um, and so, uh, you know, again, um, I would say be, be, be critical, be honest. I guess is the best thing to say. Be honest with them. If you find that you're really, um, that this, the teacher is doing something that you just are really opposed to and that it isn't just a matter of, well, I would have done it differently, but something that you really think is wrongheaded, um, be honest and just, and say it. And you can deliver that, you know, you can say those things without making them personal, you know, being aware that things can change, uh, you know, being kind, um, but honest at the same time, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I think that's probably, that's probably the best I got, I'm afraid. I, um, that's pretty damn good. Yeah, that's great. I think that can be really hard to do too, like giving yourself time when there are big emotions happening, because you also, it, you have that urge to, to fix it. You yes, know, you, you want to fix it right now. You just want to reassure everybody, okay, we'll take care of it right now. And I learned a long time ago that that was a mistake. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's really helpful to keep in mind. Thank you so much, Kathy. This has been an awesome and not very difficult conversation. Exactly. Thank you so much. It was great to meet you. It was my pleasure and thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. What great advice all around. And one thing that I think really comes out of our conversation with Kathy is how much time good teaching takes. I'm thinking of all those classes Kathy visited, all the cups of coffee she had with her teachers and training, all the conversations with undergraduates. To do it well, the job of teaching sometimes requires you not to take the shortest path. That's so true, Angie. And I think 
That's one reason that Kathy earned the respect of so many of her students, whether undergraduate or graduate student teachers in training. She really put in the time to do right by us, always. Well, good thing we've just had summer break. Let's all get ready to put in the time to do teaching right. Good luck to us all. And thanks so much, Kathy, for being a guest on Behind the Scaffolding. Thanks also to Pam Lack of San Diego State University for her podcasting guidance and advice. And thanks to you all for tuning in. Thank you.